Well, hello and good morning. How are you? Welcome to Kesed. My name is Danny. I'm one of the pastors I'm going to share with you today. Um, I just want to say, I think that might be the loudest uh, worship, the most voices we've heard in this building, and uh, it just really blessed my heart. Yeah. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was just really special. So um, I'm hoping that means this will just be a really special message. Um, I don't know if you've heard, I can see some of you are back for a second round because you're, maybe you're looking for clarification or just hoping that uh, it's not going to be quite as messy as it has been the first two times I've preached it, but I can promise you it's only getting worse. Uh, today is, is that, it's a, it's a messy message. Uh, it's a message I knew I was going to have to preach when we started this series, Homeward, which is a, a series about prayer. It's a series about orienting your life towards what God has in mind, which prayer is like the primary catalyst for doing such a thing. It's, it's getting into the space that you can hear from God, that you can follow God, that you can fight with God. Uh, all those things exist inside a healthy prayer life. Um, but if you're a messy person and you feel like your life is really messy right now, you're going to feel right at home inside this message. If you are not a messy person and things are very dialed in and compartmentalized, uh, I'm going to, with great respect, spiritually just tussle your hair just a little bit. And, I, and, and, I, and you're just going to have to just let me. You're going to try and stop it, but it's not going to happen because uh, I am a powerful tussler when I want to be. And today uh, you're going to experience just a lot of humanity, and I think it's going to be really healing and really hopeful, but also for some of you, um, it might be the first time you've heard anything like this, if this crowd is anything like the other two. Um, so here's what I'm going to talk about today when it comes to prayer. Uh, I want to talk about today what uh, we're going to do when prayer doesn't work. Now, if you're a born and bred Christian and you grew up in church, this doesn't even make sense to you. You're highly confused right now, and I'm fine with that. You're like, well, prayer always works. It just doesn't work in my time or my will or how I want. Awesome. So now set that aside and just be a human praying for something really important to you, like your mother not having cancer and dying or your child being born healthy or the job you need so bad to keep your house coming through or any other huge thing that you're praying for with good heartedness and good intentions that somewhere along the way falls through, is incredibly uh, broken upon your spirit, causing great angst, and then you sit with a Christian who puts their hand on your shoulder, looks into your eyes and says, that just must be God's will. It's much more honest just to say that you and I both have prayed prayers that didn't work. Joe's message last week started off with Jesus in the garden flat out asking not to go to the cross. Guess what? His prayer didn't work. He went anyways. But we don't talk about that very often. We make it sort of all equal and, and, and all okay. We're like, we're, I, I think sometimes as Christians, it's as if we're trying to sell God well and to tell people that sometimes the car that is God breaks down just doesn't really fit very well inside the narrative of an all-knowing, all-powerful, all-loving God. And so we just don't talk about that fact. And then people buy God or buy into God, and then they pray, and then their prayers fall flat, and then we say, well, that was God's will. The car didn't actually break down. It just stopped in an inconvenient space. <laughs> and then someone smashed into your life. That's God's will. Everything that's happened to this beautiful thing we call 
church and spirituality and God, all the damage that you've experienced, guess what, guys? All God's will. Because prayer works. Sometimes, though, I'm here to tell you, it doesn't. This room is full of powerfully, powerfully gifted prayer people. And yet, I can tell you right now, after this many years on earth and pastoring for 20 plus, that every single person in this room will pray for health, they'll pray for happy homes, they'll pay, maybe pray for wealth, they'll pray for goodness and peace and calm. And yet I'm here to tell you that sooner or later, every single life in this room, something in your world will go wrong. In other words, in my terms, every life in this room will eventually get hijacked. Everyone. No matter how much you pray, no matter how high you climb in the spiritual ranks, no matter how much biblical knowledge you have, no matter how much fasting you do, your life, like every other life, will eventually get hijacked by this fallen world and you will pray prayers that don't work. And oftentimes, if you're not prepared for that, if you have not looked into the deep and old text, if you've not looked into the unread theologians, the people who suffered greatly and blamed God for it, then you will break under that pressure and you will suddenly find yourself doubting that you serve a good God at all, in spite of the fact that every life before you, every life currently alongside you, and every life after you is all walking down the same path. But we don't want to talk about it in church, because this is the place where we sell all the shiny things. Look at God's top go down. Look, look at the wheels. Look at the exhaust. Look at, look at, look at, look at. But we never talk about the fact that people often get hurt right here. And they often get hurt through prayer. There are scores of people in this room who will eventually find themselves in that spot. They won't get the job. Their mom will still die of cancer. Their child will still be stillborn. And they will still end up in that car crash that changes them permanently, forever. If you want a biblical example, because I'm sure some of you do, you're waiting with your spiritual arms crossed, I have one for you. I love the Psalms. Dave just sang a bunch of them, right? How great God is, how wonderful God is. Look at the deer, it's thirsty. Nope, there's a river, everything's fine. I love them, they're beautiful. And a lot of Psalms start off like with kind of being frustrated with God, like God, you let me down, and God, don't you see? But eventually they take a turn. And they start talking about all the goodness and faithfulness of God. But did you know not all of them? There's a psalm right kind of in the middle called Psalm 88. It's a very powerful psalm, and I'm going to gift it to you today. The entire thing. It's not very long. The psalm is entitled in my Bible, I cry out day and night before you. Listen to this gentleman and his prayer to God. O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. For my soul is full of troubles and my life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength, like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. Now this is when a normal psalm would sort of take a turn. Suddenly it would be like, but don't worry, God, for there is an eagle on the horizon that is you. Not this gentleman. He says, verse 6, you have put me in the depths of the pit. What? Chill, bro. 
He's not done. In the regions dark and deep, it's your wrath that lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. Yep, you have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. Oh, yeah, this is in the Bible. Don't worry, he's about to bring beautiful words and eloquent uh, offerings of how God is gonna save him. No, he's not, no, he's not, and he never does. He says, I am shut in so that I cannot escape, and my eyes grow dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in Abaddon? How about this? Are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I, I, O Lord, I cry to you in the morning In the morning, my prayer comes before you. Oh, Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me, afflicted and close to death from my youth up? I suffer your terrors, and I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. Last verse, you have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. That's how the verse ends. This is a story of incredible suffering and someone who suffered for years and years and years, and that's how it ends. Here's my question. Why aren't we singing psalms about this? Why aren't we getting Dave out here in his beautiful voice and being, for my soul is full of troubles, and it's all your fault, everybody! Like, like why, why, we never do it, but it's right there. It's right there in the middle of the book. And there's many of these. We don't talk about this part because it's not very shiny and it's hard to explain. The truth is people have always offered up prayers that didn't work. Jesus in the garden offered up prayers that didn't work. He didn't want to go to the cross and he did anyways. So how about we just set inside that for a second? and realize that that's a really honest human space to be. Because boy, people who are looking for something rich and deep and honest, they would find a home here if you could be authentic with them that you and I have both prayed prayers that didn't work just like them. Because when we pretend that God answers all our prayers exactly how we want them to be answered, we set ourselves up to be the hypocrites the world thinks most of us are. But instead, let's just set in it as human beings. With psalms like that, and if you're there, I am, if you realize you've offered prayers up that don't work, you have to also ask big and dark questions. Uh, The 105th Archbishop of Canterbury put it this way. He said, here's the kind of questions you have to ask when you realize these things. If God is all loving, all present, and all powerful, then he will know our needs, care about them, and deal with them. This is what we sell to the world. But if he does not, it is either because he does not truly love or does not know or is not able. This is something we never talk about or ever pretend that could exist inside our spiritual life. And yet most of us, we've found ourselves in that space. We have experienced those prayers that that are unanswered. 
that we know were good and righteous prayers that would have brought hope and love to our lives or other people's lives, but yet we didn't receive what we thought we would. Our prayers just didn't work, just like Jesus's, and we suffered. So what are we supposed to do with this? It's a great question. Right now, you and I are sitting in a church proclaiming the long-taught tradition within Christian faith that we have a God who always intervenes, helps, serves, and lifts up. So when that then doesn't happen, when the tradition we're teaching doesn't happen as expected, and especially when it does not happen as needed, there are a number of normal reactions that generally apply to all of us that you should just know you're going to experience as am I. First, when God doesn't answer the prayers how you wished he would, you're gonna think like I would that you must have some sort of sin in your life, you must have done something wrong, and you must have caused God to be angry with you. It's not true, but it's a normal reaction. You might also feel like God abandoned you. He is good, he's just not good to you. Or you might come to the conclusion that God isn't interested in you. Actually, he is good and he's interested in you, but he's more interested in other people with worse problems or people who can do more for the world, bless the world and have more influence. You'll get your turn, but it won't be this crisis. It'll have to be another. Lastly, and this happens a lot, you might eventually just assume that God doesn't exist at all because how could a good God not grant you, grant me, the thing I desire so much. This is a very common response and I think sometimes what people do is they feel these feelings, they start to bubble up, they have nowhere to put them and so they just hide them away and that covers a piece of their heart and they experience this over and over and over and over and over until they have what the Bible calls a heart of stone. I don't know if we're just born with hearts of stone. I think sometimes the church helps build them. I think sometimes the church is like, here's a little something, promise God will do this if you do that. Okay, you do it, it doesn't happen. You look around, nobody else is admitting it didn't happen for them either, and you're like, must be me. Must be me. Must be me. And next thing you know, crisis doesn't matter to you anyways because God doesn't exist, and you're just gonna power through it the best you can. You're certainly not gonna turn to him, and you're definitely not gonna go to church, which is hilarious that you're even here today listening to this message. You promise yourself you never be back. But God has a way of working through that stuff. See, God is interested in you and he's interested in me even when we don't pray or even when we don't think we're praying. Even when we're just like, Ugh. what do you think of God? Ugh. What do you think of church? Mm. What do you think of Danny? Mm -mm. <laughs> that one is deep, deep sin. That's something you should, <laughs> you should deal with because I'm doing the best I can. This is a hard place to do church, in case you're wondering. When I tell other pastors I'm in the Northwest, they stop, and they're like, for real? And I'm like, yeah, it's, it's horrible. You should see these people. But it's just, <laughs> but I am these people. So they're like, well, you don't fit in our church. And I'm like, that's all right. I, I, I've got a group of folks that we're going to do life together. And we're going to sit inside these messy talks. So for those of you who just kind of groan, for those of you who just are just sort of frustrated, for those of us who admit that we may get to a place where we've prayed all the prayers we know to pray, we've done all the things our parents said to do, we did all the things our pastors said to do, and they just didn't work, I have a wonderful story of a wonderful life that was hijacked that God still found. I don't know a better example in the Bible of a hijacked life than that of a woman named Hagar. Hagar was a bondservant to a man of God and a, a woman of God 
Abraham and Sarah. And Abraham and Sarah, when the world was very young, were the people God chose that he was going to birth the nation of Israel out of. Abraham was a righteous man. He was a good man. He was a, he was a uh, whatever you want to imagine in your life is, is the epitome of, of high character. That would be Abraham. And so God decides to work with Abraham. And so he tells Abraham in his very old age that you are going to have a son. And out of that son, the nation of Israel is going to be born. And Abraham and Sarah laugh at God. Because even high character people, they're willing to be human. I actually found that high character people, people who've been through stuff, are more comfortable in their humanity than people who are just pretending that nothing really affects them. Abraham was comfortable. He had a heart of flesh and he laughed at God and he was like, God, have you seen my wife? <laughs> That's how I like to imagine it. It had nothing to do with him. He was like, I'm good to go. But this, like... <laughs> That's how I just, I just think, I just think that's how it went down. But I could be wrong. That's totally extra biblical. But I think most guys would be like, yeah, let's do it. But really? So anyways, eventually he believes him. He's like, okay. And they go years and years and years trying to have a child as, you know, as old as they are until they just decide, well, this isn't going to work. So clearly God must not be uh, doing what he said. In other words, their prayers didn't get answered. They weren't working. She wasn't getting pregnant. Which made sense because she was like 90-something. But Abraham was doing his best to follow God. <laughs> He's like, Sarah, the Lord said, right? It's just... So they do this until eventually there's no more plan. And Sarah's like, I've had enough of this. Clearly God has another plan. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take my bond servant Hagar, who's grown up in this community, who's a young woman, and I just want you to sleep with her and have a child with her that then I can have, and that'll be the nation. Right? And Abraham's like, okay. <laughs> and so there's a meeting with, I know, it's a, it's a horrible story, but, but that's what he was. He was like, really? I'll do what I can for the Lord. No. <laughs> Do what I can for, for the nation that God wants me to birth. Sleep with anybody you want if that's what the Lord has bestowed upon my, my poor heart. She meets with Hagar and she, she, she basically tells her, this is what you're gonna do. And Hagar's life is hijacked. Hagar gets pregnant quite quickly. They have a child and the child is sort of split between all three of them as of course it would be. And all of a sudden, God comes and he's like, hey, you didn't do the right thing. This isn't the plan. And Abraham and Sarah are like, oops. Hagar's over in the corner like, what is happening? Has, raising this child that is causing great jealousy. And then all of a sudden, guess what happens? Sarah gets pregnant. She has a beautiful child. About this time, this boy that Hagar has, Ishmael, is like we think 13, 14 years old. And there is great tension in this very large community that God is starting to build this nation from because of this situation. And so Sarah finally says to Abraham, she's got to go and take the boy with her. Head that direction. And so Abraham meets with his son and his bondservant and tells her to leave. It's a really terrible story of good people doing bad things to other marginalized and powerless people. It's a really, really sad story of what oftentimes has happened inside the church. And we pull people in and we make the promises and we say, God has something for you, just trust me. And we 
We conceive with them this idea of what their life could be like, but then at the whole time, we're not really wanting their lifestyle next to our lifestyle because they're not really of our people and we don't really know if they fit inside the promise. And then all of a sudden we realize, oh, they're starting to influence our crowd and they don't really like our songs and they, they have different beliefs. And suddenly we're like, you know, it'd just be best if you go. And we push them out. This is a story that's repeated over and over and over. So it says this marginalized woman with her incredibly marginalized son are pushed out into the desert and they wander around until they have no more water, they have no more food, and they're getting ready to die. And it says that she lays him down under a bush because he is crying out, it sounds like to God at this point, and she walks off into the distance so that she can't hear him as he gives up his spirit and she lays down to die as well. And that's when God shows up. Now I wanna be very clear before I read this verse. This woman would have been raised in this community. She would have known the God of Abraham. She would have believed in the God of Abraham. And she would have many, many times prayed during this torturous 16, 14 years that all this was happening to the God of Abraham. He would have been her God. Please don't let me get pregnant. How about that? Please don't let me conceive a child with this man. Please stop this abuse. Please stop this jealousy. Please give them a child right away. Please do this. Please do that. She would have prayed and prayed and prayed. Please don't make me leave. This is where I know. This is where he's grown up. Please, 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 please. And then suddenly she winds up in the desert. And I want you to listen very closely to this passage when God speaks to her and references the boy who's crying out. Genesis chapter 21, starting in verse 17. And God heard the voice of the boy and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him a great nation. This is something I want you to understand for those of you who have felt marginalized or you just don't really know what to pray. I want you to point out that God did not show up to Hagar because she prayed. She had given up on praying to God. She had given up on claiming maybe even that there was a God. She had gone through so much torture and so much pain that this, she was like, you know what? My son's gonna die, I can't stand it. She goes and lays a distance so she can't hear from him. The boy would have been raised in the same way, so he's crying out to God, and it's amazing to me that God shows up to the one who didn't pray. And he says, I have a plan for you. Now, I believe that sometimes our prayers are simply being perfectly truthful with God in all of the ugliness, in all of the marginalized space, in all of the pain. And I think that's where Hagar was. I think she was groaning for God and blaming God and maybe cursing God. And I think that she was letting him know, you let me down, you forgot me, and you don't know where I am. My life was hijacked and you did nothing about it. And then it says that God shows up and he touched her life in such a powerful way. He took her prayers that didn't work and made a nation out of her family in such a powerful way that another verse references how she responded to this. Genesis 16, 13, she gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. She gave God a new name. She said, you are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. She said, God, I see you. You're not the God of Abraham anymore. You're the God of Hagar. You're the God of Ishmael. You're my God. And you do see me. 
And you showed up in the midst of me not even proclaiming you as God. She had this space. Though her circumstances did not change, she knew she was not alone in her suffering. And so in this way, her prayer was answered, just not in the way she hoped. She didn't pretend that somehow God was, this was his will and he was gonna cover it all. She sat in that space willing to die angry and God met her. Here's what I've come to understand. I have come to understand and firmly believe that most people who say prayer works really mean God did what I wanted him to. That's really what people mean when they, when they wanna battle over this prayer subject. Prayer absolutely works, but I have never, and I've sat with many people in many a crisis who have lost the loved ones, who at the end of losing the loved ones said, well, prayer works. Nobody says that. Because the only time I have said prayer works in my youth and growing up and doing this pastoral stuff is when God did exactly what I wanted him to. When I met my wife, okay, I met her at 14 years old. She was the prettiest girl in school by far. There might be a couple girls that used to go to school there. Sorry, I just wasn't into you. <laughs> she went to a different high school. We met again at a college church group. I met her. I went home. I remember praying, God, she's the one. Please, I'll never ask for anything else. <laughs> but there have been times in our marriage where I have been like, I don't know if prayer works. I don't, know, I, don't know, I don't know if this is gonna work out with us. And there are times she will tell you the same thing where you like go before God and you're like, did I pray myself into this situation? How did I end up here? This is the kind of space that we need to be able to sit in with people when we say prayer doesn't always work. It's because when you're talking about prayer, oftentimes when you're talking about it working, you're talking about God doing what you want. And I'm here to tell you, God's rarely gonna do what you want. And when your life gets hijacked, by disease or brokenness or old age or bankruptcy or whatever else it is, you just get, what are you gonna do? Just tell people like, oh, prayer works as your car's on fire and stuck halfway in a tree. You're like, glad I bought it, love it, would buy it all again. <laughs> you look like a fool. Instead, you should just say, this is where I am and guess what? God's with me. He's not the car, he's the passenger. And in a great prayer life, he's the driver. And yet oftentimes what God does in our lives, let's be clear, when he drives, sometimes it's heading straight to the desert like Hagar. And I'm like, God, listen, the freeway's that way. People are that way. You know, good life is that way. And God's like, yep, I know. And I'm like, what are you doing? I'm praying against this. I don't want this. If my wife right now got cancer and someone said to me, listen, here's the deal. She's not gonna make it, so clearly it's God's will. I'd say, I disagree. It's not God's will, and I'm praying against it. And if God himself said it's my will, I would say, I disagree. I disagree. Psalm 88 says I can do that. I disagree. I want her to stay here with me. And if God didn't answer that prayer, I can tell you this. We would have a discussion. <laughs> We would have a discussion for years and there would be stones on my heart from that traumatic experience and I believe God would be in my life and in my story and he would peel that away and he would somehow make it into this beautiful thing that I'll be honest with you, I would exchange all for more years with Aaron. 
So I'm not going to sit up here and tell you that every time you pray, it works. And I'd recommend you stop telling people that. Instead, sit in the space to confess and to admit that not all your prayers are going to work. Prayer is not a button to be pushed. It's a relationship to be pursued. And this relationship often outworks itself differently than you'd like. When you can't trace out any direct result from prayer, God is still working. When the opposite of what you prayed for happens, God is still working. In those moments when you feel very distant from God, God is still working. When you bang on the door of heaven for years and you're not sure anyone is even up there and listening, God is still working. But when the opposite of what you pray for happens, just admit, like Jesus in the garden, that your prayer didn't work. It's so much more pure. It's so much more Hagar in the desert. It's so much more human and our God your prayers don't always work stop telling people they do God doesn't work for you it's just so important that we teach our kids that and our family members that and our atheist friends that I read a statistic this week studying for this that uh, they did a study on prayer it must be during the pandemic 75% of people recently in America admitted to praying at least once a month over the last year which means atheists even backslide sometimes <laughs> that's why I told you I never worry about a parking spot at hospitals Because whether you go to church or believe in God, when it comes to staring into the void of the future unknown, there's always a parking spot for clergy to show up and sit with you while you look out. But I don't sit with those people and try to convince them that if they pray hard enough, everything's gonna be fine. I sit with them and remind them that Jesus has never left and that that void is full of his presence if they choose him. We need to remember that just because God is silent doesn't mean that God is absent. When we pray, things do happen, but often in ways we can't understand or even perceive. This is also why it's okay to lift up your concern to God like Hagar in the desert without even knowing what to pray. What do you think about God? Eh. What do you think about church? What do you think about whatever? The Bible specifically talks about those kinds of things. It tells us the Holy Spirit translates that angst translates that honest human response to the creator and this world that we live in. Romans 8, 27 says, likewise, the spirit helps us in our weakness for we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. You're praying when you're angry. You're praying when you have anxiety. You're praying when your heart is beating. You're praying when you're like, there's no way God is real. He'd never let me handle this. God's like, oh, I heard a prayer. You're praying when you blame him, when you curse him, when you leave him. You're praying when you don't show up to church. You're praying when you show up because you don't want your wife to be mad at you to church. God is in your story and you can't escape that. God works I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step out on a ledge and say God works best usually in the mess. And so he's always rearranging your sock drawer. Those of you who are obsessive compulsive and have everything in perfect order, like it should be. <laughs> the unavoidable problem with these out in the desert Holy Spirit translating prayers are often that they find ourselves and come from the darkest and deepest sort. And I just want to encourage you, 
That's okay. That's where you're supposed to be. For to be in the arms of God is to feel the free fall that comes with letting go of all else. And there's just no other way to do it. Some of you, you need to let go. You just need to fall. You just need to open up. You just need to release. You just need to stop trying to button everything up and have an answer for everything. Instead, just say, I know that God loves me. I know that God's will is for me. And I also know that these things I'm praying about sometimes they don't happen. The Quaker educationalist, Parker J. Palmer, I'm sure you guys all know Parker, good old Parker J. Palmer. I call him Park, but <laughs> this is what he puts it. He, puts it, he has this thought, and I thought it was profound. He said, the deeper our faith, the more doubt we must endure. The deeper our hope, the more prone we are to despair. The deeper our love, the more pain its loss will bring. These are a few of the paradoxes we must hold as human beings. If we refuse to hold them in the hope of living without doubt, despair, and pain, we also find ourselves living without hope, faith, and love. You just cannot live a life that is undone before God without it feeling messy. And you can't live with God unless you're undone. I told the church, I don't know, eight, nine, ten weeks ago, that I've been wrestling with this, uh, this great sadness. There's a space inside my therapy that I didn't want to go, kind of in my origin story and some of the legacy of my father and different things that um, I just didn't really want to deal with. And so I started praying quite a while ago, just don't let these things be true. This can be true and this can be true, but don't let this be true about me and about how I see the world and about what I've done in my life. And eventually we came to this point in therapy where, where uh, after like six weeks of argue, arguing with, with my therapist, which I think he said was a record, um, I finally realized that these things are true. And the very first thing I was frustrated about is the fact that God didn't answer my prayer. That, that now I have, to, I have to process this and I have to offer this to God and I have to be honest about this and and I was so frustrated because all he had to do was just make it not true. I mean, he's God. And I don't want to be sad. I don't want to carry these heavy things. But more importantly, I don't want to pretend like I am done up when I'm not. And so I was able to sit with him and, and wrestle through these things with God and, and find a space that, that I can exist that is still a little bit sad. But that God exists alongside. I've realized that I have, been, um, I have been sitting in this space as a pastor in this church, and that's a big reason why I didn't want to own it. Because I really enjoy what God does in my life, and I really love that I get to spend this time with you. But oftentimes, you find yourself in a season where you're just, um, you're just, you're just either going to quit, or you're going to preach a sermon like this, where you're just fully who you are. I preached this uh, message Thursday, got quite a few emails. Uh, some positive, some not so positive. Preached at last service, got good comments, some positive, some not so positive, and now I'm preaching it now. And I gotta be honest, it feels a little exposing, but it also feels really, really healing because I, like you, don't wanna pretend this church is gonna provide answers that it doesn't. And so I lay my life out before you as an offering, if you will, so that you can lay your life out before others as an offering, if you will, so that we can be a community that admits sometimes our prayers don't work and that's okay. We serve a God who even if he drives us into the desert, shows up. 
We serve a God who sees us. We serve a God who walks with us. We serve a God who holds us. And sometimes it doesn't look like we want it to, but let's not just say, well, that's God's will. Let's start off with the honest human answer of, yeah, my prayer didn't come true. It didn't work. And let other humans huddle around us like people have around me and be like, mine too, mine too, mine too. And then suddenly find people within those common stories, sensing the Holy Spirit's urging to connect more, to talk more. And as I finished the last service, to go, remember, prayer doesn't always work. Let's pray. (laughs) These are the tensions that we live in as Christians. To expose our lives and lose credibility or lose respect or lose authority or power or prestige or to expose our lives and be undone and let whatever happens happen. I think that's the courageous thing to do, but I want to be authentic. It's something that has to happen every day, and I got that from a quote, last quote of the talk from Marianne Radmarker. She says, courage does not always have to roar. Sometimes courage is the quiet voice at the end of the day saying, I will try again tomorrow. So wherever you're at in your prayer life, keep trying. Wherever you're at in your undoneness, keep going. Whether you're on a stage under lights or it's over coffee with a friend or maybe it's at a park by yourself on a bench, keep exposing who you are in spite of what it costs you and live your life fully human before God, authentic in all of the praise, how great thou art, and the blame. You really could have done better. Sing them both to him and let him receive you. Let him dance with you. And when, and it'll happen, something goes your way, be grateful and offer it back to the God who gave it to you. And when things don't go your way, understand that God is still very much in control and very much loves you and that he sees you where you are, no matter the suffering or pain. And so like the last service, I wanna give you time to reflect upon your prayer life, your story, whatever God is causing tension within your soul right now, the things you agree with, the things you disagree with, you can offer that all to him. I wanna give you time to reflect and to sit before your God, whether you're in deep, rich community or in the desert. He's there, he's watching, he sees. So let's pray. Lord, it is in these spaces that we often find ourselves the most uncomfortable. Spaces we could easily shut down, spaces we could easily hide from, we could start thinking about what we're gonna do next or what in the message didn't connect or where it was wrong or, or maybe what we don't believe in or maybe the fact you don't even exist. Or Lord, in this space, we could just sit in the tension. We could be authentic about what we wrestle with, about who we are, about where we are. Whether it's desert or it's rich community whether we're struggling to hold on or let go, stand up or sit down, whether we're a young person dealing, God, with a culture that is so pushing its own agenda, whether we are an older person feeling like we don't have many years left to give and what's the point, whether we're someone with very little to offer, so we think, or someone who has barns and barns of resources and gifts, God, you see and you use and you move.
And so we set this place before you that all of us are. We recognize our great need for your presence in our lives. And we reflect upon what you're going to do in it now. In Jesus' precious name, amen. I need thee every hour, most gracious Lord. No tender voice like thine can peace afford. I need thee, oh, I need thee. Hour I need thee, oh bless me now, my Savior. I come to thee. I need thee every hour. Stay thou nearby. Temptations lose their power when thou art nigh. Oh, I need thee, oh, I need thee. I need thee every hour, most holy one. Oh, make me thine indeed, thou blessed son. Let's all stand and sing. I need thee, oh, I need
Sunday version of this prayer series. I'm going to be here with you. And then the following Sunday evening is really when we're going to finish the whole thing. We're going to do something we've never done before, just a prayer and worship service in the evening just for anybody who wants to come and and experience that. So I would love for you to put it on your calendar. I'd love to fill this place. I'll be there. Uh, It's just going to be a really neat experience to just come and just spend uh, a little extended time in prayer. So uh, I just, I love that we can be a church that sets inside this space. Thank you for being so willing and uh, God bless you. I hope you have a great rest of your week.